This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth. The rapture has happened. In the different visions that John saw concerning what would happen on earth and in heaven are being fulfilled, as Pastor Gary reminds us in his message today. Yet in the middle of it all, mercy shows up. For the wrath of God is held back until a certain number of people are identified as His servants. They're protected from destruction so that they may continue to spread the message of His saving grace for those that listen and answer this last call. How amazing is that? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're in Revelation chapter 7, gang. We are making progress through the book of Revelation. And so we are in chapter 7. We finished chapter 6 last week. And so we're heading into chapter 7, Lord willing, into chapter 7 and 8. So let me give us, uh, as I try to do here, it's a little bit of a running start so we can um, gather our wits about ourselves as we make our way into chapter 7, right here between chapter 6 and 18 that deal with the tribulation period. So that's what we started discussing when we went into chapter 6. And just so that we understand, you know, what do we mean by tribulation and, and why would God inflict uh, the world with tribulation. So when we speak of tribulation, we're talking about the wrath of God that is coming upon the earth. But there's a reason. And the three reasons why God will bring tribulation upon the earth are these. Number one, to wake up unbelievers. We've talked about this, that sometimes God has to get our attention in drastic ways. That's what the tribulation is. There will be drastic times, things that are coming upon the earth to wake up unbelievers, to the truth of who Jesus is. Secondly, it'll also be to shake up the nation of Israel. God is not finished with the Jewish people. He is not done with Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. That's called replacement theology. That is heresy. God still has a plan for Israel and the Jewish people, and he's still working in amazing, wonderful ways in the hearts of Jewish people today many of whom are coming to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. But part of the tribulation is going to be to wake up the nation of Israel. And then thirdly, to make up the kingdom of God. Because what will constitute the family of God or the kingdom of God, the people of God, uh, will be finalized at the end of the tribulation period. Because once the tribulation period is over and Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand years, 
that's going to be the end of the makeup of the kingdom of God because then eternity will be launched and there will be no more opportunities for people to become part of the family, become part of the kingdom of God. And so part of the tribulation is to help make up the kingdom heading into the millennial period, and then for all eternity, it's going to be done. There's not going to be this endless opportunity to come to faith in Jesus. That's why it's important. You know, if you're here or if you're watching online and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you know, our our plea with you is really consider coming to faith in Him because there will come a point where there is no more opportunity. We don't want you to miss it. So there are different reasons why God will afflict the world with such calamity and his wrath will be revealed through a series of three events. First, seven seals that are broken. And that is most of chapter 6. We're going to talk about the seventh seal as well. So a series of seals. So a scroll is rolled up, and then it is sealed with seven seals, like wax seals. And the Bible tells us that only Jesus is worthy to break the seals. And so he breaks seal number one, opens it up, and pronounces judgment and wrath coming upon the earth. And then he comes to seal number two, breaks it, opens it, pronounces more judgment. And so that was last week's study. We'll summarize it real quickly in a moment. But then that'll be followed by seven trumpets that are blown. We'll get into a little bit of that. And then followed by a series of seven bowls that are poured out. And so these are the pronouncements of various judgments by way of seals that are broken and read trumpets that are blown and announced, and then bowls that are poured out with additional judgments that are coming upon the earth. And each series becomes increasingly more intense. And so that's why the latter part of the tribulation, which runs for seven years, is often referred to as the great tribulation, because at the three and a half year mark, it really intensifies. And so these are uh, the reasons, and this is how God's wrath will be revealed. And so last week, just a quick summary, we looked at six of the seven seals that are broken and the, um, the judgments read by Jesus. And the first four seals were accompanied by the four horses of the apocalypse. The first horse was a white horse, and it indicated to us that the rider was the Antichrist who will rise to prominence followed by a red horse that is an indication of war, will escalate during the tribulation period. This is all stuff that will happen during the tribulation. The Antichrist rises to prominence, war will escalate. Number three was followed by a a black horse that indicated famine and economic collapse. Number four, followed by a pale horse. The Greek was chloros. We get our English word chlorophyll. So it was really a pale green horse that indicates the death of many unbelievers. And then the fifth seal was opened, and it indicated the death of some believers. And then the sixth seal was opened, and it indicated universal natural catastrophes that are going to come upon the earth. And there will be more catastrophes to come as we read through the series of the trumpets and the bowls. But this is where we left off now. Those are six out of the seven seals. If you jump real quickly, I know I told you to go to chapter 7, but if you jump real quickly to chapter 8, you will notice uh, with me that in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When he, that is Jesus, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And so for you note-takers, the seventh seal 
found here in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, is really an introduction to the seven trumpets of judgment. That's the next series. We had six, uh, seven seals. Now we're going to talk about seven trumpets, and then we're going to talk about seven bowls. Well, the last of the seals was broken, and it's not a judgment in and of itself. It is announcing a series of more judgments in the form of trumpets. And you'll see that the seventh trumpet announces the seven bowls. And so that's how this whole series of judgments is revealed. But I wanted to just jump to chapter 8 so that you could see with me that the seventh seal is broken and announces a series of trumpets that will be sounded. Now, what we have then between, obviously, the end of chapter 6 and chapter 8 is somewhat of a parenthetical chapter. Chapter 7 is believed by Bible scholars to be parenthetical. In other words, it's somewhat out of chronological order. It is giving us information of what is happening behind the scenes, and and it is letting us understand some things to give us a little bit of some hope in the midst of all of this wrath. Because I want you to notice with me at the end of chapter 6, There's an ominous ending to chapter 6. We read it last week, but let me just read it again. Verse 17 says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And so when you see God's wrath beginning to be unleashed upon the earth, this is what the Bible says will happen in the future, to a degree never experienced before on the planet. This ominous question is asked at the end of chapter 6, The great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And it is important to note that in the midst of his wrath, we see mercy in chapter 7. And it really speaks to what Habakkuk the prophet said in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. Habakkuk said in his prayer to God, he said, God, in your wrath, remember mercy. And we're going to see that God remembers his mercy. In spite of the fact that this is some very horrific stuff that happens here, his wrath is being unleashed, again, to wake up unbelievers, to shake up the nation of Israel, to make up the kingdom of God. But in all of that, he's going to also show us some of his mercy. And so with all that said here, let's take a look at chapter 7, but first let's pray and then we'll we'll dive in here to chapter 7 and chapter 8. Lord, we thank you for this time and your word now as we open up our Bibles here and as we look into these things that you've given us concerning the future, concerning the end times. And we pray that we would not just absorb information. It's not that we need more knowledge. It's that we need application. So we pray that as we read these things, that it would motivate us to holy living and that it would also ignite a fire in our hearts for those who don't know you so that we can be more faithful as witnesses to people, to help them understand your redemptive plan for mankind, how you loved us so much you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross. It is your will you tell us, Lord, in your word, you want none to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's your heart, Lord, and we pray that we would be used by you to help influence people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that you love us and you died for us and you have a plan for us. So thank you for showing us these things in advance so that we can live holy lives and be ready for your return and to be used by you as instruments in the lives of other people. So we pray that you'll help us as we absorb all these verses and uh, that we would grow in our relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. 
All right, chapter 7, verse 1. John writing here, he says, After these things I saw, circle in your Bibles, I saw. There are going to be two visions that John has in chapter 7. The first one we're going to read about here in the opening verses. And then again down in verse 9, he says, After these things I looked. Same Greek words that are used. I saw, I looked. So these are the two visions. And here's the first vision in verse 1. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. All right, let's pause there and just uh, dig out these verses together. This is the first of two visions that John has here as he writes in chapter 7. The first vision he has is of four angels, and they are positioned in the four corners of the earth. Now, it isn't a denial that the earth is round. This is just an idiom. This is an expression, like we would say, the four points of a compass. And these angels are standing in positions of judgment to be used by God as instruments of his judgment. And then John sees a fifth angel that appears in verse 2. Then I saw another angel. Now, some Bible commentaries say that this might be Jesus, but others would disagree, and I would disagree this is not Jesus, because in the Greek in verse 2, then I saw another angel. It is alos agalos, meaning another angel of the same kind. Alos meaning of the same kind. So he sees four angels positioned at the, if you will, four corners of the earth. He sees a fifth angel who comes, and the four angels are told to withhold the wind. Now, In biblical typology, wind is often an indication of judgment. So this is probably not literal, although it could be. It could be that part of God's wrath that comes upon the earth is to withhold any wind whatsoever so that the conditions become very arid and very uncomfortable. But more than likely, this is a reference to the withholding of judgment. So each of these angels positioned in a strategic place on the globe And they are being told by this fifth angel that that John sees here. And he sees this fifth angel, by the way, coming, verse 2, ascending from the east. Literally, in the language, it means from the rising of the sun. So he comes from that direction. And it appears that this fifth angel has authority greater than the other four, which is not unusual. In the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul was talking about principalities and powers of evil in the heavenly realms, he was talking about angels that had fallen. He talked about uh, demons and and the kind of spiritual warfare that we have to be aware of in Ephesians chapter 6. He talked about rankings in terms of powers and principalities and authorities. Those are terms of rankings. And we know in the Bible that there was, for example, Gabriel was a messenger angel. Michael is the only angel in the Bible known as an archangel. Probably Satan, Lucifer, before he fell, was considered an archangel or maybe even greater than that. So there are rankings among angels. 
And it appears in the language here that this fifth angel who comes along has higher rank than the other four. And this fifth angel has, it says in verse 2, the seal of the living God. Now, we don't know what this is, but this is some kind of a marking on this angel indicating that he belongs to God. And it says that he cries out with a loud voice to the other four angels. This is the rest of verse 2. To whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So these other four angels had the ability to to bring devastation upon the earth. But the fifth angel says, no, you won't. Not now. You are not to damage and bring any harm to the earth, to any of its vegetation, to the seas or anything until, he says in verse 3, until the servants of our God, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, the servants are numbered here in verse 4 as 144,000. And apparently they receive some kind of a marking or a seal on their foreheads. The Bible doesn't describe what it looks like, but it will be an indication they have been sealed by the Lord. Now we'll talk about what that seal means for them, but first I want to identify who these 144,000 are because they are going to be used by the Lord in a very remarkable way in the earth. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the study, chapter 7 is likely out of chronological order. It's kind of a parenthetical chapter. And you'll note with me that when we get to chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, we read more about the 144,000. And so the 144,000 are going to end up being used by the Lord as like little evangelists throughout the planet to help bring people during the tribulation period to the understanding, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the question is, who are these 144,000? Now, if really kind people wearing um, white uh, shirts and black trousers knock on your door and identify themselves as Jehovah's Witnesses, okay, they're going to tell you that they are the 144,000, all right? Now, here can be a very gentle answer to refuse their kindness, okay? How many Jehovah's Witnesses are there in the world today? Their numbers, 8.4 million. Well, if there are 8.4 million of you, then 8.3 million thereabouts won't make it if there's only going to be 144,000 of you who end up getting to heaven. That's what they're saying. They're saying that they are the 144,000 and that they are the exclusive 144,000. There's there's about 8.5 million Jehovah's Witnesses on the planet. The numbers don't work. There's no room for me. Thank you very much. Okay, that's what you do. And then you pray for them. The 144,000 here are not Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? Read your Bibles. It's as if God, you know, I grew up in the day when Mr. Rogers was still on TV, okay? And, you know, Tom Hanks brought him back. I didn't see the movie, so I don't know how, if it was a good portrayal of him or not. But for those of you who are too young to remember who Mr. Rogers was, maybe you saw the movie a few years ago by Tom Hanks. Be that as it may, Mr. Rogers had this uncanny way of just explaining things in pure and simple language so little kids could understand. So sometimes when I read this passage here, I feel like Mr. Rogers because he's like, all right, boys and girls, 
Let's see if we can understand who exactly the 144,000 were. In case there's any confusion right here, look at what Jesus does for us. Verse 5, of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, do I need to read the voice that way the whole time? Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. What's 12 times 12,000, boys and girls? 144,000. Now, what we have here, it's, John spells it out for us in verse 4. These are 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And just to make sure we know, boys and girls, who they are, he spells it out for us. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. These are Jews. These are not Jehovah's Witnesses. There should be no discrepancy here. Now, just to summarize then for you note takers, who exactly are the 144,000? Well, it tells us in verse 3 that they are sealed on their foreheads. It tells us also in verse 3 that they are servants of God. And it tells us in verse 4 that they are from all the tribes of Israel. And then there's a list for us. So, specifically, here's who they are. They are Jewish believers who have been redeemed from the earth. That's a phrase we find in chapter 14, verse 3. In other words, they've been saved during the tribulation and protected from it. That's what the seal will protect them. The seal is a marking from God that gives them some kind of supernatural protection so that they're not harmed during the tribulation period. And then they are sent as witnesses to unbelievers on the earth. And so God uses them as evangelists to help bring the good news of the gospel to people who are on the earth. So among Jews who are living during that tribulation period, God will providentially select 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, mark them with a seal. They become believers in, in Jesus, in Yeshua, as Messiah, and then God uses them for his purposes as evangelists in the earth. You know, it's a remarkable thing. There are, in my various trips to Israel, you know, I've met a lot of wonderful Jewish people and also met a lot of wonderful Jewish people here in the States. But specifically, I'm thinking of some individuals in Israel who they have the knowledge, but they have not made the the leap of faith, which is what, you know, it takes faith to accept and believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and that he is Messiah. And there's a place where I always take our groups, if you've been with me, to a little shop in old Jerusalem, Shorashim, and it's run by two Jewish Orthodox guys who are twin brothers, Moshe and Dov. And they have wonderful conversations with the groups I always bring into their shop. Thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection, this book of Revelation that you've been studying with Pastor Gary. 
is one that many have studied and analyzed, tried and tried again to pinpoint on a timeline. When will Jesus come? When will these and times events take place? Have they already begun? There are many questions we don't have the answers to, and we won't until they happen. But there are some truths that we can hold on to. These events will happen. Jesus is returning, and he will defeat Satan once and for all. And all those who have made Jesus Lord in their life will be with him for eternity. What a wonderful time that will be. So where does that leave us? It's important to know what's coming so that you can prepare now and trust Jesus for what we don't know. We must give our lives to the Lord, and we need to give others the opportunity to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in for today's study in Revelation. If you'd like to explore more teachings from God's Word that Pastor Gary has shared, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. Come visit us if you're in the area. All the information you need is at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Join us next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know